Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> You're listening to First Time Dance. With me, Richard Innes. And me, Steve Meyer. Hello! This week we caught up with paediatric first aid specialist Jenny Dunham, who's the founder of Daisy First Aid, who offer fun, fear-free classes to parents and carers. Yes, we um, we had a chat about all sorts of things that Steve's kids, my kids, that all kids really run into, uh, bee stings, choking, all sorts of stuff. So, so it's all about looking after your kids and how to help them when they've suffered the various bumps and bruises they, they no doubt will. Very good to have you on. Um, as as uh, Steve has just mentioned in our in our intro, Steve is actually at home currently um, as we record this because Steve, you you've um, ironically I'm given recuperating. We, yeah, ironically given that we've got a first aider in the building, you're actually at home recuperating from an operation. Yeah, I've just had a double hernia repair, Rich. Double? It does sound dramatic, say, Steve. I wouldn't recommend it as a way to ease your childcare responsibilities. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind, mate. I'll bear it in mind not to have a double yeah, hernia. Yeah, no, no, no heavy lifting, and you can't turn very easily. Right, okay. So it's not great for a very energetic three-year-old. I was just going to say, uh, toddler care and that, those, those two things do not seem to correlate, that and toddler care. Yeah, my, my poor, poor, poor beleaguered wife Zoe is like the walking dead because she's doing all the nighttime wakings, the virus. Nice. I can, I'm sort of, for the last week I've been sort of, co-code them all up in the spare room not being able to get out of bed but just listening to like you know the, the sounds of the jungle <laughs> actually sounds quite pleasant but anyway um yeah. <laughs> let's let's get on to our guest here we've got daisy daisy with us who is the owner of first, uh daisy first sorry we've got jenny with us who is the owner of daisy first aid that's a very easy mistake to make everyone makes it <laughs> i'm very used to being called daisy I'll and bet, answering to it as well i'll bet you are i bet you are so um Jenny, we've obviously, Steve and I, as we've both talked about on the podcast multiple times, we've had, you know, like any parents of toddlers and little ones, we've had multiple incidents where you think, you know, where first aid becomes a bit of a necessity. Yeah. Um, clearly, neither of us really know what we're doing, but I guess most parents don't, right? Absolutely right. Uh, most parents don't. <laughs> and uh, you know what? It's simple stuff. Simple stuff, yeah. easy to learn. Yeah. So, Steve, you had you had one just recently, didn't you? At the weekend, you were telling me. So, so yeah. I mean, Jackson is very energetic, but this isn't an energy energy um, related injury. He and Iris, in this lovely hot, sunny weather, have both been out in the garden the last week, and both independently, separate times, been stung by a bee, um, which gave us great cause concern because Zoe is allergic to wasp stings, ah. and it's the first time either of them had ever been stung. And so we had a moment where we were like, I don't wonder if they're allergic to the sting. Oh, they're um, swelling up eyeball, uh, eyelids and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, closing, closing throats I was more concerned about. Yeah. Um, uh, but it transpired that neither of them appeared to be, um, and they both got over it quite quickly. We, we uh, This is how I dealt with it, was uh, comforted them, checked to see if there was a sting lodged in their hand, and uh, after doing a quick Google, 
sort of ran a credit card over their skin to try and brush anything that might be there away and gave them a bit of cowpole to help ease the pain. Oh, a credit card? Is that, is that, is that right? Jenny? Well, firstly, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Quite often when you Google stuff, you get a random uh, yeah. response. So, But you are absolutely right. And also right to um, think kind of about the anaphylaxis side of things, the, the serious allergic reactions, particularly if Zoe has already got that. Um, yeah. Bees are nice creatures. Bees don't generally sting a lot because no. obviously they die um, once they sting because they leave the sting in the, in the skin. Um, but obviously if children don't know that and they look you know quite cute and fuzzy mm. so um if a child does get stung by a bee they do generally um leave the sting embedded in the skin so yeah um, it is absolutely right to try and remove that but um there's all sorts of old wives tales about how to remove it and i remember my nan trying to suck one out with her mouth um See, way that back sounds when. like the type of thing i would try and do is that a bad <laughs> not, idea not a great idea but right, in okay. mind you probably get the sting uh, back in your mouth um, good point, yeah. But yeah, credit card, absolutely right. It's a really good tool to just kind of scrape along the skin. And what it does is it brings the, the sting out rather than either pushing it back in or if you've got tweezers, you can actually squeeze that poison sack um, further mm. into the skin. So credit cards are good, a good tool. That is something I would never credit have Credit card, considered. library cards. Like that. You don't need to go out and get yourself an American Express. I guess you can use any sort of plastic <laughs> Anything card. you like, yeah. All credit yeah. cards are available. I'd yeah. be a family card, anything, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm, I'm relaxed now that I've, I've successfully first aided. Yeah, so, what I will say um, on that, though, um, first time the stung, although you did absolutely right look out for the signs and symptoms with swelling of the eyes, the lips, the throat, tongue, um, difficulty breathing, blotchiness in the skin, all those signs and symptoms that could be um, attributed to um, anaphylaxis, um, keep looking out if it happens again because sometimes it's not the first time it'll be the second time oh, that's interesting yes, so yes. Do bear it gets that in worse mind. doesn't it often those sorts of things get worse don't they over yeah. time it's like um, uh, allergies the more you have of something the worse it gets absolutely and you can be allergic to something or, or not be allergic to something all your life and then all of a sudden you become allergic to it so it's something that's mm. always sort of in the back of your mind interesting point yeah so, so what it was are... a good opportunity Boys, to um to instill in jackson that actually bees aren't bad Bees are lovely. Um, They're my favourite. Bees are lovely. They're useful in the garden and the whole pollination process and that kind of stuff. It was just we had the paddling pool out and the water had pretty much drained out of it. But a bit, obviously, a bee, by the looks of it, had come down to have a drink, perhaps. Yeah. And he'd put his foot in and the water had washed against his leg and the bee was there. And before you knew it, he was crying. Yeah. The bee panicked. The uh, boy panicked. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. But you used a credit um, card. This is the type of thing that I would never have considered, right? So my, my, my question is, what are the things, right, that you, that you think a, a parent should know that you find most don't? Because I, I, th I feel like if, if, for instance, if my eldest Ben was choking on a grape, let's say, because obviously everyone knows about the, you know, ch ch chop grapes in half and all that kind of stuff, and we do that religiously. But if he was choking on something, I would know to kind of hang him upside down and bang him on the back and, you know, do all the all the usual bits and pieces but what are the things that you think most parents should know or would be useful to know that they don't definitely don't hang them upside down and bang them on the back good stuff right <laughs> so that, that's a big cross against my name straight away okay yeah. um if they're a baby up to the age of one then you can lean the child over your lap um and give them up to five um good back blows with the heel mm -hmm. of your hand mm -hmm. um ideally quite firmly because you want to get that out as quickly as possible so it's up to five not you know keep going if it's already come out right um and that's a really effective technique that generally works most of the time and you only use that technique when they are actually properly choking if they're coughing then they're not fully choking so let them try and work it out first if they're coughing let them cough it out 
Um, it's really yeah. when that choking becomes silent, when their eyes go wide and panic, yeah. lips turn blue, pat, you know, and they're not breathing, then you need to step in and act That's quickly. interesting because the panic does set in pretty quickly as a parent because you hear so many horror stories about choking that the f- at the moment you can hear your kids struggling a little bit, you do panic. Yeah. But what you're saying is, of course, if they're able to cough, if they're able to make some kind of sound, they can still breathe, right? Yeah, the biggest tip I can give with choking is choking is silent. Right. And I'm and I'm a massive advocate. I can go on all day long about different ways, but simple things like if your child's sitting in the back of a car mm. and they're in a the car seat, quite often, you know, people give snacks. But really and truly, if you're driving the car, you won't hear if they choke because choking's silent, so you won't know. Or if they're in a front facing no. buggy and they're having yeah. a snack, yeah, 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 you won't right. be able yeah, to yeah, see yeah. them. Little things like we've that. Got one of, we've got one of those mirrors that you tie to the headrest at the back so you can see baby's face. Yeah. Uh, and I feel really uncomfortable when, if that's ever not there, yeah. I can't see her face. Um, and also we've given Jackson a talk. I mean, he's now like three, more than three, so he can handle a, you know, a grape that's not cut in half and he knows to chew his food. But I've also given him the talk about, do not give your sister anything that's not cut up. And I've explained to him that, you know, that it's got to be broken, the skin, and so that she can swallow it. And he seems to he seems to quite get it. And actually stepped in before and gone, Iris, no, you can't have that. It needs to be cut up. Fantastic. Um, Learning from a young age is a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So choking, um, choking is obviously a big one. That's uh, you, I mean, is that one of the ones you get asked about most regularly? We get asked about that pretty much every class that we do, for sure. Yeah. Um, particularly at, going into that weaning stage. Um, it's yeah. a common question. People really sit up and take notice of it's what funny, I'm saying. because yeah, there are just certain key things I suppose people panic about. What, what are the other ones that you think kind of tend to come up most most commonly as questions i would say a lot of parents don't know about febrile seizures and that's something that quite often we say has anyone experienced one or has anyone heard of them and we get you know blank faces and then when we explain that one in 20 children could have a febrile seizure then we get a lot of people sitting up and going mm. oh. okay i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the obvious <laughs> question then what is a febrile seizure jenny <laughs> a febrile seizure is simply when a baby's young um they can't control their own temperature by themselves mm. so if they get a fever or if their temperature is raised even slightly it can cause them to have a seizure which is really really unpleasant and scary for a parent to watch um Many, many think that, you know, something incredibly serious is happening um, and get into a state of absolute sheer panic. Mm. Reality is um, the body overheats and there is a seizure that takes place, which usually only lasts a couple of minutes. Um, and if it's just a general febrile seizure, baby will make complete recovery, no lasting side effects whatsoever. Um, but for a parent, it could be, you know, it could look like the end of the world. So what, what sort of thing would you be looking at then? Are you talking about, uh, in terms of... Convulsions, convulsions and shaking, that thing, yeah. It could be that, or it could be something as really simple as like limb twitching. It could be eyes rolling in the back of their head. It could be quite subtle twitching. It could be like unresponsiveness. So you're calling their name and you're just not getting a response from them. Mm. They're not engaging with you. So sometimes it's like the really dramatic stuff that you see on the TV when someone has a fit, but it could actually be something quite subtle, like those limb or clenched fists, um, foaming mm. at the mouth, or, you know, lots of saliva. Um, so it could be something that's quite subtle it's as well. So, it's so easy to panic in those situations as a parent because I guess we've all been, I know you've got three kids yourself, yeah. so we've all, we've all been there with those things. Absolutely. One question that just occurred to me when you were describing that, 
are, is there any type of condition or incident or anything like that where the panic can, of the parent can make the situation worse? Do you know what I mean? In, in the sense that you, you want to do something that you think is the right thing to do, but in your panic, you're doing the wrong thing. I think generally, if, you, if a child sees their mum or dad panic, mm. or even, in fact, any kind of carer, they're automatically going to panic themselves. So anything where kind of breathing is concerned, so if it is anaphylaxis, you know, serious allergic reaction, they're struggling to breathe, or if it's asthma, um, you know, really and truly anything where that child is in pain or uncomfortable, if they see the, the adult having a panic, it's going to make the situation worse for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jenny, tell me about um, kids, like Jason's fallen over a few times, bumped his head. Um, you know, come off his bike. We've got like a, you know, like a side return in our house, which has got like a wall down one side. And he's <coughs> crashed his balance bike into that a couple of times, banged his head, come in with like a little bump on his head, um, which then vanishes. What's the sort of the, the correct protocol for, for monitoring those head bumps? With a head injury, it's a difficult one because it's inside the head. You don't truly know... <coughs> whether or not there's been any damage caused. Now, you know, most head injuries are just minor bumps and bruises and the child will recover completely. If it's more of a bang on the head where they start to suffer from concussion, and concussion is just really where the brain within the skull has a bit of a shake, so it's a bit of distortion there. And it can cause a bit of dizziness, sickness, tiredness. Um, and concussion, you know, can last 24 hours. It can last a little bit longer even. But we would always advise that if they've had a good whack to the head, that you pop them down to a medical professional just to get checked because we can't mm. really see what's going on inside. And if they are concerned, then obviously they'll take them for sort of an X-ray if it gets to that stage. But um, monitoring them on a minor head injury for sort of 24 to 48 hours, just making sure they're behaving the same, they're not feeling dizzy, sick, tired, not sleeping more than normal. Um, I think one sort of old wives' tale we used to hear a lot is, oh, keep them awake. Yeah, you know, if yeah. they have a bump on the head, don't, yeah. don't let them go to sleep. And that's not true because actually the body's natural way of repairing itself is to go to sleep. So it's very natural that's that you know, they'll want to go and just repair themselves. And that's absolutely fine. What about old, old wives' tales? That's a great phrase because you know, I'm sure everybody has this with, a, with uh, let's say, um, older women in their family. You know, mothers, yeah. aunts, grandmothers, all that kind of stuff. And I've had, I have so many in my family where you think, hang on a minute, what is the scientific basis for this? Or is this just being passed down through generations? What are the biggest old wives' tales that you think need to be sort of disproved here and now? Yeah, and we get the best ones because we get more and more grandparents coming on our classes now. And we love it because we get the stories. But I think some of the really common ones is like butter on a burn. I mean, really? <laughs> butter on a burn is going to burn it more. Like, I don't even know <laughs> where that came from or how, but... Please don't ever put butter on a burn. Um, just water, just water. Just water, minutes. okay, good stuff, right? That Nice and simple. Are there any others that spring to mind? Um, we definitely had the, the old um, hang the baby by the leg and bang them on the back. Yeah, um, which I've managed to actually in the inadvertently yeah. chuck in already. We've only been talking 10 minutes. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had um, a lot of, you know, if, if a baby feels, um, has a seizure, you know, slapping them on the face or slapping them on the bum. Um, yeah, don't do that. That's, that's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I suppose a general question from me, really, because I do have, I've got a toddler and a baby, and I'm... Rich, has Ben ever suffered an incident and you've, like, home dealt with it rather than calling in professionals? Do you know what? Well, that's that was kind of going to be one of my questions, actually, was about sometimes we feel like we put too much strain on the NHS. There's been times where my, my eldest, he had um, uh, surgery at Great Ormond Street when he was really little, when he was six months old, uh, for a condition with his skull. And not, not, not a first aid issue, but since then, any time that his temperature has gone up a bit or he's had a bit, I think understandably we've been a little bit nervous. Yeah. And so quite often we've ended up in A&E 
And then you end up kind of feeling a little bit guilty, like you're putting unnecessary strain on the NHS by sitting there. And actually, well, it's quite clear that maybe he's just got a virus or maybe there's, you know, and it always ends up just being, well, he stays overnight and then we take him home the next day. Um, do you find, because I know obviously everybody wants to be able to help the kid, but do you find that sometimes people, are there obvious times when people go too far down that road and are overly cautious? Sure. There's two ways of looking at it, actually, because um, knowledge is power and, you know, the classes that we provide means that we give parents a lot of knowledge where they can deal with situations and they don't have to go to any and that mm. you know we've spoken to pediatricians and they go this is brilliant so many times people have come in and actually now if we can get more and more parents trained we can reduce the amount of you know cuts and bumps and bruises mm. that we're getting in because they know how to deal with it at home on the other side of it we are a massive advocate of trust your instincts and yeah, if you've yeah, got completely. a baby at home who's not well and you're worried take them to take them to the doctors take them to the hospital and trusting your instincts is so important because you know your baby better than anybody else you know what's normal for them you know their behavior so if they are acting differently and that niggling thing in you is just going oh i'm just you know i'm just not happy um no one at the nhs is going to criticize you for no. taking them to hospital and i've always been amazed how a and e doctors or you know any any, any doctor really how they put how much stock they put in in the parents instincts because mm. i didn't really appreciate that until i was a parent you always assume that the doctor is going to have some sort of magical knowledge that you don't but the amount of times they'll say to you well is he is he behaving differently it, and and it's it's actually on you as the parent even with all that doctor's knowledge it's still on you as the parent to say well actually no he's be, he's like this all the time and they say well then he's fine absolutely right <laughs> and they're getting better and better and you know they do they rely and if parents go yeah but i'm just not happy then they do they take it on board completely mm. yeah well, we we had a situation when jackson was a little boy that he had a very high temperature which they couldn't get down which wouldn't come down using you know cowpole or conventional methods so we ended up with him in a and e and then he got admitted because they weren't they couldn't get the temperature down and they weren't going to send him home and we found ourselves in this children's ward at lewisham hospital with a little tiny boy and they put a cannula in his hand and that's oh, one of the most that. horrific oh, things that. that's happened uh and it was soon became apparent because we knew him that he wasn't really anything wrong with him and we re and zoe had a really uncomfortable night in like sleeping in a bed with him and him trying to pull his cannula out and in the end we managed to get them to say we only live like five minute walk from us so we're gonna go home yeah. and give him the drugs and stuff at home and monitoring him and they were happy to do that because they trusted us probably mm -hmm. not uh, official policy but and it, it was fine it was all fine it, you know it worked out fine in the end but we had just needed to have the confidence as parents to go right okay we know what's best for him yeah. and it's not to be in a hospital ward with the sick kids when he's probably just got a high temperature there's yeah. nothing nothing more wrong with him than that but I think that experience has led us to be slightly less inclined to get the medical profession involved than perhaps, uh, you know, we might have done otherwise. I mean, we, Jackson had an occasion where he was running across the playroom and apologies in advance, it's going to make you wince. He tripped and banged his chin on the floor and bit into his tongue yeah. in Nasty. such a way that he had like at the side of his tongue about half a centimetre going all the way through a full tongue cut oh. um and there's like mouthful of blood and blood everywhere yeah and but we, i was like what, what would you do in this you're not going to take him to hospital get stitched up i know from my own experience of biting my tongue that it does um heal but you just have to be a bit careful with what he's eating and it's now his tongue's right away you would never know that anything had happened but i can imagine you know mouthful of blood 
big mm. gash in his tongue. Easy it, to panic, it, isn't it? Know, in that situation, easy to panic and yeah. take him to, to. So we just like keep it clean, you know. Just keep, make lots of water, you know. Try to keep him away from you know strong flavored foods that might upset it. You know, very simple dinners for a couple of days, and then it all starts to to heal. Do you know up. what? Yes. Talk, talking about running around in the home, that that leads me to another question actually of mine. What are the things in the home? Because obviously, as, as Steve was saying kids are going to trip up right so my son does it all the time and I've, I've had similar incidents where he fell down and bashed himself or he's been bleeding or whatever and it's always it's always a bit of a panic but are there certain things around the home that maybe parents often forget actually pre- present a bit of a safety risk yeah definitely and there's a few that we've had where parents have come and actually highlighted them to us um and things that you know some of the you know very simple stuff like hot cups of coffee which is a massive you know risk for burns mm. and you know the saucepans on the stove but some of the other things that are sort of maybe parents don't think about quite so much um we had a lady who um has baby in the cot and the cot was quite near the changing station the baby was able to stand up reach over and grab the um nappy bags and uh, she was chewing on a nappy bag and actually it presented a really serious you know choking risk or risk of suffocation um it was just that she highlighted it to us so that we could highlight that to other parents and something that you might not necessarily think about um Washing tablets, you know, in the bottom cupboard. Yeah. Washing tablets are so dangerous, you know, if they're eaten or even put into the hands of children, and they look really quite nice and you know colourful. So, you know, popping those up in a top cupboard, for example. You've just made me think of that as you <laughs> as you explain that. I'm just realised that the dishwasher tablets at my house are under the sink, and actually, yeah, that why are they there? They should be up in a, on a, on yeah, a shelf somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Button batteries are a, a we hate them. You know, they're in so many toys. We had an incident where a child had a baby walker. And it, you know, one is little singing or dancing music playing ones, um, and underneath where the screw was, um, the baby was able to undo the screw and get the button battery out, and the, he had it, had it clutched in his hand. Had he yeah. swallowed that, it would have caused oh, just terrible, terrible burns inside, and you know, yeah. could have actually been fatal. So, and they come in so many different toys. They come in um, the car keys, the fobs, mm. you know, remote controls, so many different things, and you know. We really hate them. That's interesting because I've often cursed the the way that those toys are put together. You know, God, I need to get a screwdriver. All <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to do is get him to play with his toy. And actually, you saying that is maybe, oh, that's why they that's do have they those do screws that. in there. Yeah, right. Okay. I'll stop complaining. So, so um, Jenny, you've got yes. a question for you. Um, one of the things that I think you might be mentioned is mobile phone chargers. Because I've come into our bedroom before and found Iris with the end of a mobile phone charger in her mouth or about to go into her mouth that's plugged into the wall. And obviously we've got those um, socket protectors that go in the sockets. But I mean, you know, kids can get those out. Um, How do you deal with like electric, electrical incidents? Like if if you, if your child has electrical shock. Yeah. Electric shocks. I mean, stuff like that, because most people's charges are kind of on the floor level. So it's definitely something to think about and all kinds of all kinds of wires, actually, that children, especially when they're teething, just want to just bite through. Um, So it's something to really take on board. Electric shocks should always be looked at by a medical professional because it's a burn. But actually where you have um, the electricity going into uh, the body, where there's an entry wound, there will also be an exit burn. So and you may not know where the exit burn is on the body. So it may well have traveled through through the body, gone through vital organs and actually wow. out somewhere else on the body. Um, so it is really important that even just a minor or what you perceive to be a minor, um, you know, electric shock um, should be looked at by a medical professional for sure. Interesting. Okay. So but initial first aid, you come in, your child has put their finger in an electric socket, they've had an electrical shock, what do you do? Right. First of all, make sure that they're not still attached before you help them. Yeah. 
because you don't want to end up you know if you electrocute yourself you can't then help your child so it's always important no. to keep yourself safe first um so removing them away from the electric charge once they're removed from it then there should be you know no live current there so you're able to kind of pick the child up um but then taking them or calling the ambulance or taking them to hospital is the best course of action okay um sorry go on steve you got, you got another one uh, what about if they're what, what what if they're unconscious if they're unconscious then you're going to be going down what we call a primary survey and checking to see whether or not they're breathing um if they are breathing then popping them into recovery position and getting them some help getting the ambulance on its way um if they're not breathing then we're going to be going down the route of baby or child cpr baby would you say okay. what, what would you say is that is the if there was one thing, I know you must get asked this all the time, but if there was one bit of information that you think would be most useful to parents out there who don't have any first aid training, if mm -hmm. there was one thing that you think might help save a kid's life at some point, what would you say is, is that one bit of information? Supervise your children when they're eating. Really? Yeah. Choking, just because choking's silent, and I think we even had something as much um, yesterday, in fact, and they said, oh, you know, my four-year-old just sits at the table with um, his little sister. He'll tell me if anything happens. And I thought, you can't rely on, you know, a small child to mm. tell you if something's wrong. They won't recognise the signs of choking. That's not their job. It's not fair to put that on them. Yeah. Um, but so that's really interesting because I would have assumed you'd have said something like, you know, uh, learning basic CPR or something like that. But it, it's as simple as saying, simple just as watch that. your kid when they're eating. I mean, that is the the biggest one i would yeah. say for sure i mean sure there's lots of subjects that we recommend that you learn how to treat burns you know bleeding all those other things um but sometimes it's the really basic tips and they're not mm. you know they're not difficult to learn they're simple mm. simple stuff but until it's highlighted you just you know it's just not on your radar that's it i suppose yeah you never, I mean, you never expect the worst until the worst happens do yeah. you well it, exactly we had a, we had a situation because i can't really lift at the moment um Jackson getting out of the bath. I put like a little step in the bath and he could get out and climb over onto a stool on the other side. And then I got him changed and put him to bed. And, but the bath was still full of water and the stool was still there. Right. And my wife was like, you need to remember that because he, he just as likely to get Absolutely. back out of bed, come down, think it's funny to get back in the bath and then yeah. slip. And before you know it, you know. That's actually just made my just tummy just feel funny. Being, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's being super hyper aware, I yeah. guess, of every single thing. But without... You don't want to be like man marking them too much, because otherwise, I guess they, you know, you want to give them the ability to fall off their bike, even though you don't want them to get hurt. You've got to find the balance for sure. I mean, I'm probably more towards the paranoid mum, whereas my husband's yeah. probably more a little bit more like the relaxed guy. So between us, we've <laughs> kind of got the perfect balance. But you know, he'll push it and go, no, 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 they need to, you know, ride their bike. And I'm yeah. like, oh, but, you know, all these <laughs> things that could happen. Yeah. You I was going to say, your line of work must make you paranoid, right? Um, yeah, I probably know too much. I think both my lines of work, you know, my previous one and my current one have led me to being a little probably more paranoid than most parents. Because your say. background, you for, yeah, you're, you're, work, for people who don't know, you were a police officer originally, weren't you? Yeah, I was a police officer for 14 years in London. So um, there's okay, probably not much I haven't seen, I would imagine. Okay, I can understand yeah. why you're paranoid. So how, how did you go from police officer to, you know, first aid expert? Um, so I had my first two children. I went back into the police. So um, I went to from 40 hours to 30. Um, and working shift patterns is not really conducive to having a family. You're missing a I lot bet, of like, yeah. Christmas days and birthdays and working long hours. But I loved it. I loved what I did. Um but when I was pregnant with my third child, I went out for a coffee with a friend of mine and we had both of our babies in our high chairs um, in the local coffee shop. Uh, gave them a cookie. We were having a natter. Um, and I didn't really know anything was wrong until my friend screamed and her child was choking. And Sil she, silent choking. Silent choking. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 
Um, she was doing absolutely the right thing and monitoring her child while she was eating. Yeah. I was monitoring mine. Um, yeah, and she didn't know what to do and she froze. Um, and being a police officer and having that first day training drummed into me, you know, year after yeah. year. Um, I knew the techniques. They're not in, you know, they're not difficult to learn. Anyone mm. can do it, but I just knew what steps to take. So I took those steps and uh, her, mm. her daughter's fine. Her daughter's made a com- very, very quick, perfect recovery. Yeah. Great, great, great news. But what I did is I went home to my husband and I said, why don't we know this? Yeah. Why, you know, we, we spend an awful lot of money on wonderful classes and, you know, parties and yeah. ballet classes and swimming classes. But fundamentally, the core life skills mm. seem to be missing. So I created it myself. <laughs> is it, you're absolutely right, though. There's, there's, you know, billion pound industries out there based around because everyone wants their best for their kid, right? Yeah. Just that's the nature of being a parent. And yet, like you say, we spend all this money and all this time doing all these things to keep our kids happy, but we don't consider the things that might keep them alive. It's, it's, simple it's quite stuff. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, actually, we used to do uh, loads for training nannies and au pairs and babysitters. And then you ask the parents, are you first day trained? They go, hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. I, I'm aware we're sort of coming towards the end of our time, but Steve, you, you raised yeah, an interesting what, question what, when we were talking what? earlier. Yeah, Jenny, like... Oh, Steve has Steve has gone on a wobble. You've gone on a wobble there on the internet, mate. I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask the question for you. Basically, Steve was Steve was pointing out to me and asking the question: when we are when you are seeking out childcare, whether it be and you mentioned au pairs and nannies and that type of thing. As a parent, what are the, what are the things you should be asking them about first aid? Yeah, so there's a full qualification that any child minder should have, mm. and that's a full course. That's like a two day course. So they should have that, and it should be a relevant qualification, you know, that's valid for three years. And you'd expect any any kind of qualified au pair or nanny to, to have that. I would, I would, I personally would insist on it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is your line of work, so that makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> Listen, Jenny, I think I think we've just about um, we've just about run out of time. I, I feel like we could talk about this all day, to be honest with you, because I, I if we if we're not careful, Steve and I are both going to just go into the list of long anecdotes that you must hear <laughs> these things all the time. My kid fell over and did this. My kid you know tr- drop this and blah 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 blah. but um it's a what, what website can people go on to 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 find out a bit more information about everything you're doing so super simple we've got trainers all over the country doing the two-hour classes for families daisyfirstaid.com lovely all right well thanks very much indeed for uh for coming in really really appreciate it and um yeah thank you for having me i've learned a lot Great. i feel safer already thanks very much <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> cheers jenny thanks a lot <laughs>